Well, good morning one more time, Victory Midtown family. Are y'all glad to be in the house of God today? Come on, you can do better now. I'm going to ask this side of the room. Are y'all glad to be in the house of God today? It sounded like it while we were worshiping that y'all were glad to be here. Listen, again, we want to just welcome everyone here uh, to church today. We want to welcome those who are worshiping online with us. Can we put our hands together for those who are watching online? Amen. We're glad that you're with us. Listen, I'm very happy that you're here today because we've been on this journey where we are learning how to what I call storm-proof our lives, storm-proof our lives. For the entire year from about February, we've been talking about this whole notion that Jesus, he gives us some tools, he gives us some keys through the passage of Scripture that we're going to kind of spend most of the year in, and that is the... I had one person that's been listening. <laughs> We've been in the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we would call Jesus' most influential sermon that he preached while here on this earth. And with that, what we have learned over time is that Jesus did not mince his words. He did not say that if you just pray, you'll never go through anything. He didn't say if you read your Bible for three hours that you'll just bypass all the problems in life. He actually said when the storms come, that you will be able to have your feet on a solid rock if you will take heed of the things that I'm teaching you through this sermon. And so I'm blessed that we're able to see this and we're able to kind of engage in this conversation that has been started for thousands of generations. And as we're listening to this today and as we've been listening to this over the last several months, let's make sure that we are leaning in because I don't know about you, but I want my life stormproofed. Not that I won't go through things. But that when stuff happens, I'm like, I'm solid. I'm founded on the rock. And so in the middle of that sermon that Jesus gave, right there in the middle, he gave us like the best gift he could ever give us. He said, I'm going to teach y'all how to pray. He said, y'all been saying a lot of words, but I don't know if you really know what you're doing. And when he said he was going to teach us how to pray, it was so important that he did that because I said this last week that prayer is simply communication and communion with God. And it's central to the Christian life. And so if it's central to the Christian life, I think it's so important that we know how to pray so that when we pray, somebody say when. When, when we pray, we'll pray the right way. And so if you didn't hear the message last week, and if you've not been following along, I really want to encourage you to go listen to it on YouTube. Go listen to it on our podcast, because what I said last week, and I believe this to be true, that if you get this method, this manner, this form of praying, this approach, that it will literally revolutionize your life. Now, I want to ask a question to see if we have an honest church at 11 o'clock. How many people you actually took heed, you heard the message last week, and you started to implement some of that model in your prayers this week by a show of hands? A few of you. I'm glad y'all are honest. Y'all are like, I'm not going to lie in church. <laughs> but I want to encourage you, let's do that. Because as I said last week, Jesus wasn't trying to just get us to memorize this particular prayer so that we just recite it by memorization. He was giving us a form, a manner, a type, so that when we did this, we would know the aspects of prayer that would make it effective. So for quick review, and as we set the tone for today, I want to read what is known as the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew chapter 6. Let's turn to your Bibles, uh, your YouVersion Bible apps, or if you don't have either of those, it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says this. This is Jesus. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. We just sung that. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last week I said that the first step to actually operating an effective prayer is that we have to establish who God is in our lives. And we said to establish him, we have to know his character. And we're thankful that we don't have to try to wish upon a star to know his character. He actually laid out his character by showing us his characteristics through the names that he calls himself. We talked about the fact that Jehovah means I am that I am. We said that God is Jehovah, our righteousness. He's our peace. He's our protector. He is our shepherd. He is with us. He is the one who provides the heaven's armies on our behalf. And as we're thinking about this, we say we pray through these, but we also want to embody these as we continue to hollow or exalt his name. And so today, as I gave seven aspects last week, we're going to deal with the second aspect today. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 in the Lord's Prayer, and it's this. It is your kingdom come. Say this with me. Say your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, when we read this and we follow along, we see over and over again as we recount what Jesus did, he talked over and over again about the kingdom of heaven. He would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. He would say, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who threw a party over here. He would say the kingdom of heaven is one that belongs to the little children. What he was actually doing is that he was trying to give us insights and use principles that were common to us so that we can understand in our layman's terms what the kingdom operated like. Six times in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually gave us examples of what the kingdom of heaven was. And I would say when you repeat something, you really mean it, mean it. When you say something once, it's like, okay, you might catch that. You say it twice, you say write it down. Six times, you're like, you need to live by this. And so as we look at this, let's understand what he was talking about when he said the kingdom of heaven. Because there's a lot of talk about what the kingdom is. What he was saying in the original language of the time in Hebrew is he called this, the kingdom of heaven was called Malkuth Shemaim. Malkuth Shemaim. Malkuth means the actions of a king his reign, and his authority. Shemai means heaven, and it always refers to God. Listen to this, not a place. See, a lot of times when we think about heaven, you know, I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking about heaven as this place where I go and open this door, and it's like, oh. But what it's saying right here is that heaven is where God is. And so as we look at this, it says heaven is not a place. Heaven is where God is. And the kingdom of heaven what it is what it looks like when God is ruling and reigning in our world and in our lives. So as I was thinking about this, I just have to bring this to kind of natural terms. I believe that Jesus, when he was saying the kingdom of heaven is like this, what he was doing is he was saying, I want to give you insight of what it looks like to live where I'm from. Now, I've been in Georgia about 31 years. You know, there's not a lot of people that are actually from Atlanta. I've been here for about 31 years. I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, from the Midwest. And I think about this in terms of this. If Jesus was saying, this is how it is where I'm from, it's like when I came to Georgia, 
And I realized that people down here didn't necessarily put sugar on their grits. You know, it was a big debate. I was like, where do you get this cheese stuff from and salt? But I learned real quickly that was the way of the land for a lot of people. You know, in the Midwest, you know, we don't put sugar in the tea. It's kind of just like you just drink tea or you drink soda down here. You need simply syrup. You need five packs of sugar. You get in a cavity before you even eat your meal. When I came here and started going to school, middle school, one of the first days at lunch, they served fried okra. I was like, I never even heard of a fried okra. But it was good, though. And I've been eating it ever since. What he was saying is like there are differences in how I operate where I'm from and how you operate here. And I want to draw the contrast to those things. What he was doing, he was telling parables, often giving us insight on how his heavenly father, his father, who is our heavenly father, operated and what it looked like to live with, deal with a ruler and a king like that. And so as we follow along with these parables and as we look at this, what Jesus was simply saying is, I know heaven well. I know where I've come from. And I want to teach you to pray, your kingdom come. What he's saying when he does this is he's telling us to pray that God's gracious, loving, powerful rule and reign will come to pass right here on earth. Does anybody want that? I believe we want that. And as we look at this, I need you to hear it because Jesus was teaching that here will become there. That where he was from, he wanted that to actually come to grips with where we are living right now. He was saying that the kingdom would come and God's will would be done here on earth so that God's rule and his reign would happen on earth. I'm saying that a couple times because what I'm going to be speaking today, and as I navigate through this, it's going to take us to shift our paradigm a little bit. Because we often think from a very natural term. We often think from just what we can see, but we have to lift our eyes. Somebody say, lift your eyes. So as we look at this, many times what we need to understand is that there is a gap, and a lot of times a big gap, between how things are in heaven and how we operate here on earth. And the reality is that we have the opportunity, God gives us the privilege to participate in prayer to shrink that gap. Now, if you're like me, I want to be very honest that I don't look at everybody else as, you know, this is their issue, this, this is their issue over here or over there. I like to say that if I'm very honest, I am probably one of the number one contributors to inhibiting God's kingdom coming here on earth. Why do I say that? I say it very honestly because I have a kingdom that I want to build. Now, I'm, we might not say that out loud. We may not share that with other people. But if we're really honest, if we look at the inventory of our lives, look at what we spend money on, look at where we invest our time, many of us are building a kingdom, small k, when God said, I want to establish my kingdom, big K. And what I know, there's two things that I know very well. Number one is that God's kingdom is 100% better than mine. Unequivocally. Incomparably, I know that God's kingdom is way better than mine. I know God is more powerful. He's smarter than me. He's wiser than me. He actually finished everything before he even got me started. So it would behoove me to take heed of what he's telling me to do. And so as we look at this, we just need to grab this and come to grips with it and stop lying to ourselves sometimes. Because if we're really honest, we will say that we have a kingdom that we sometimes exalt over his 
Let me share with you a, a scripture that I read and that I actually meditate on that really lines this out. Isaiah 55, verse 8. It says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, I want to let you know, I'm, I'm kind of letting you into my personal prayer life and how I pray because you will hear me pray this out in corporate prayer on Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. You'll hear me pray this out often when we're having our pre-church prayer this, uh, every morning on Sundays at 8 o'clock here at Midtown. I'm always saying, God, just like I said last week, I can't, but you can. I'm saying, God, I might think I know what's best, but I'm going to yield to what I know you said is best. God, I know that I can fool myself and deceive myself, that the Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked. So I'm saying right now, God, I'm offering myself up to you saying, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And so I want to encourage us to be honest with God. He knows already. For us to start to internalize this and saying, God, I know my ways are not your ways, but I want to become like your ways. I don't want that to be the truth that I live in. I want to really understand what your ways are. Amen? Amen. The second thing that I want us to know is that I am tempted every day to exalt my kingdom over his. Again, if we're honest, I'm not talking about your Sunday morning 1145 self. I'm talking about your Wednesday afternoon, 3.37 p.m., when you've taken a longer lunch than you were supposed to. You got the itis now, and you're ready to go, and somebody comes and gets on your last nerve. I'm talking to that person, where we need to understand that I have desires, I have natural bends that, that actually want me to do things that are not in your will. I understand that the social pressure of today sometimes takes precedence over what I know I'm supposed to be doing. And what God says is right, we need to actually come on board with because everything he's saying is really just to love us. It's to protect us. It's to guide us. And so here's the tension that we're walking in. We're walking in a tension that God has a kingdom, capital K, and that we have a kingdom, lowercase k, and a lot of times they're actually in a clash. And as I'm speaking to you, I want to let you know I spent time praying for you for this message today because I realized we live so much consumed in the earthly realm of what we deal with that it's hard for us to lift our eyes to the heavenly. But I believe that we have a church that's just faith-filled enough that you didn't come here on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock just to hear a good song, just to hear somebody speak. You want transformation in your life. You want to be changed for the better. You don't want to be the same person this time next year. You want people to say, I don't even recognize you. Look at somebody next to you and say, I don't even recognize you. Now, if that's your husband or your wife, you know, you might get in trouble a little later. Listen, when we pray, watch this. When we pray, your kingdom come as it is in heaven here on earth, here's what we need to do. I'm first saying... Let your kingdom come in me. See, a lot of times what we do is we want to talk about everybody else, what they're doing over there, what they're not doing. But even if we look back into the Bible, the Bible says that God brought man up, brought Adam up from the dust of the earth, breathed breath into him and made him live. And so when I pray this prayer, what I'm saying is, Lord, let your kingdom come first in this earth 
as it is in heaven. Because if I can get your kingdom to come in this earth, then I can start taking the steps and looking at what's going on all around me. So what we simply have to do is say, God, do unto me, speak unto me. Let me internalize it before I give it out to somebody else. Before I'm judgmental, let me say, change me, shape me, mold me. And so how do we pray when it comes to being a kingdom person? I have three areas that I want to focus on today and just give you these that I believe will shift the way we pray and it'll shift the result of our lives. The first one, as we talk about areas of the kingdom to establish in prayer, we have to pray to be a kingdom person, to be a kingdom person. In that, we're saying the kingdom in me. Somebody say in me. There's this ancient Jewish parable that I want to read, and it goes like this. A man came to a province and asked the people if he could reign over them. They said, what good have you done for us? Why should we accept your reign? In response, the man built them a wall. He brought them water. He fought battles for them. Then he asked the question again, may I reign over you? They responded, yes, yes, you've done all these things. And the parable continues, thus this time it was the omnipresent, it was God. He redeemed Israel from Egypt. He parted the sea for them. He brought them manna. He provided them a well. He sent them quail. He fought battles for them. He said to them, now may I reign over you. And they replied, since you put it that way, yes, yes. Now, I don't believe this is just a parable. I believe that God is actually saying this to us today where he's saying and posing a scenario saying, I am your father. I knew you before you even formed in your mother's womb. Before you could even take care of yourself and even while you think you can take care of yourself, I am your good shepherd. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you can have life and life more abundantly. He shed his blood for you. I'm protecting you. I brought you out of the miry pit. I'm setting your feet on solid ground. Then he asked, now may I reign over you? And I believe anyone in here would say with good sense, yes, Lord, you can rule over me. What is all this saying? What this is saying right here, this is in your notes, that to be a kingdom person, you have to give up the throne and yield to the one who is really in control. You have to give up the throne and yield to the one that's actually in control. So as we look at this, what we're really saying is that you can't run this. As much as you think you're in control, as much as you think you're pulling the levers, as much as you think you're controlling with emotional intelligence, you are not in control. And so as we look at this, we should pray that the kingdom comes as we first address and say, God, let your kingdom come in me. Now, to be a kingdom person, again, we have to give up that throne, but this is what I want to say to us, because if you look around society today, mental illness, mental health, anxiety, depression is at an all-time high. In some ways, it would be we put more attention on it now because we're able to distinguish it. But what I believe is that sometimes, not all the time, because I know sometimes it's clinical, sometimes it's something even hereditary, or sometimes it's chemical. But a lot of times, I believe one of the reasons why some of this has happened is because we have put so much pressure on ourselves to make our names great. One of the reasons why we deal with depression, why we deal with anxiety, why we're having panic attacks when we stand in front of people or we're called to do certain things is because you're trying to make your name great. 
And God never ordained and, and created you to make your name great. He never created you to establish yourself. Now, as I'm saying that, some of y'all are like, well, I hear you up there, Pastor, but you don't know what kind of job I got. You know, I've been taught to establish myself, to, to be a boss, to, to stand up in strength, to be a leader that people can follow. I have pressure. I have people that, that count on me for payroll. Watch this. The Bible says, and we quote this all the time, uh, God will never put more on, on us than we can bear. But I need you to ask the question, what things have you put on yourself that are not God, that now you're asking him to help you carry? He's saying, I never told you to pick it up in the first place. And so I believe that for some of us in the room right now and watching online, we need to take time and say, Siri, remind me later to take an inventory. What have I created and put on my back that God didn't? Android people, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> take out your pen or something and I think write it. Miss moments and I digress, I digress, I digress. Here it is. There is pressure today to make your name great. There is pressure to see how many lights can I get in the hour. There is pressure to say, I'm going to point the camera like this because this is optimal and now people will see me more and people will see my good side. Now, it's only so many sides you got. You done took 20 pictures. Give up and say, God, you do it. <laughs> but what am I saying? This is in your notes. When you yield to the kingdom being established in you, you don't have to have the pressure of establishing yourself. Because if we're really honest, listen to this, too many of us are actually worshiping the idol of our reputation. Too many of us are Letting our decisions be dictated by how people are going to see me when I do this or when I don't do this. If I show up here this way, they're going to have something to say. If I don't show up over here, they're going to have something to say. So you might as well say, God, you establish me. And so as we're looking at this, I want to read the scripture because God gives us clues all throughout the Bible. Context is important. I'm going to go to Jeremiah 45. In the chapter before this, if you have time to read this, I want to encourage you to do it. You will see that in chapter 44, God is talking about breaking down idolatry. And idolatry is when you lift anything up over the image and the plan of God. And so what he says right here, he says, Seeketh thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. What he's saying is that, are you seeking to make your name great? Are you seeking to establish yourself? Are you even trying to operate in self-preservation by not even getting too close to people with God has already told you you're supposed to draw close to them? He's saying, seek if thou great things for thyself, seek them not. John the Baptist, someone we hear a lot about in the Bible, he's someone who came on the scene. He was doing a lot of things. He was on the scene. He was getting all the likes. He was getting all the shares. People were meeting him down at the river. He was baptizing people. He was preaching to people. But he knew that something was about to change. He said this as he was doing all these things and teaching so many disciples. He said in chapter 3, verse 30, John, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now, we read the Bible sometimes, and you're like, oh, that's cute. But put yourself in John's shoes. People were coming and lining up to see your show. 
People were coming and, and, and standing in line to make sure that they heard you speak. Only for your cousin to show up. And now everybody goes to that crowd. Now we say, you know, we could do this, but he had to deal with some ego right here. He knew that it was something greater that people were going to. So he was able to say, hey, hey, I appreciate what y'all have done for me. I appreciate even the nice things you say to me. But he must increase and I must decrease. Even Jesus, the one who lived without sin, gave us a key and a clue of how we're operating this. He prayed this in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14, 35. He prayed that if it were possible, that the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. He yells out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. What he was saying is, you know we don't have to do this, right? <laughs> like, like, I know I agreed to die for them, but have you seen them? Have you experienced them? Do you see how they operate? I don't know that even after I do this that they're going to get it. But he says, Abba, everything is possible for you, but take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, somebody say yet. yet. I want your will to be done, not mine. Somebody repeat after me. Say yet. yet. I want your will to be done, not mine. Again, I want to be very open and transparent in this moment to let you know that many of us, we sometimes try to put such a church face on that we never have an intimate relationship with God and how he really wants to change us. And one of the most important, most impactful prayers and honest prayers that you could ever pray is this prayer that says, Lord, listen, I actually like that people like me. I actually want to be applauded by people. It makes me feel good. God, I like when they say I look nice or I've spoken well or I've done this. Or to shift it up, we may say, God, you know that sin that I know I'm not supposed to commit? It feels so good, though. And I just want to be honest with you and let you know, yes, this will feel good if I actually succumb to this. Yeah! Not my will. But your will be done. See, I think many of us need to spend a little bit more time being honest with God and stop trying to be pious with God. Because if we can be honest with God, he says, I can meet you right there where you are. I already know it anyway, so you might as well be honest. But we have to be people who say, I'm going to open myself up and acknowledge that my default nature leans towards sin. If you didn't know that, you don't have to be taught how to sin. You know, kids at a young age, nobody has to tell them that when you ask them, hey, did you go get that little cookie out the drawer? And they look, they put their head down and they say, no, but the cookie is right there. <laughs> you don't have to learn how to lie, how to cheat, how to do all those things because our sin nature is hardwired in there. But I believe that we have a new nature that is coming upon us. I believe that we have to employ the help of the Lord to say, I know how I naturally been, but I want to go this way and not that way. And so as we look at this, if we don't allow God's rule and reign to be over our lives, we'll find ourselves in cycles, in cycles, in cycles of sin that we know are not good for us, but we keep going that way because we have not employed the help of the Lord. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, it tells us what happens when we follow our sin nature that we are naturally bent towards. Verse 19 says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me pause. I'm so glad that the Bible says, and other sins like these, because some of y'all were listening out. He's not going to get mine. He ain't going to hit mine. He ain't said mine yet. I guess that's okay. No, other sins like these. He's capturing all of us. He goes on to say, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life would not inherit the kingdom of God. That's very clear. And what I also know is that that's not a popular thing to say in this day and time, because what people will say about this word is that you're trying to control me. No, God's saying, I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to protect you. But he goes on and gives us an alternative that we receive when we let his reign in our lives. Verse 25 picks it up and says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Somebody say this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our lives. What he's simply saying right here is that this has to be an intentional decision to follow this way. Because we don't need help to sin, but we need help. Somebody say help. We need help to make sure that we're able to go and allow God's kingdom to be formed in us. As a matter of fact, we need to pray like that. Can we take a moment and just practice this for a moment? Can you lift your hands right here in the room and those online? I want to pray for you first. Say, Lord. Help. Help. Father, I'm praying right now that as we have lifted our hands, that we are saying that we want your help. Father, fill us with the attributes of Jesus. Give us peace. Give us patience. Give us joy. God, help us choose good over evil. Father, we want to walk in humility. We want to walk in peace. We want to walk in purity as singles, and we want to walk in faithfulness as those who are married. So that when we follow you, our family will be able to see the character of the kingdom forming in us. Father, let your kingdom come on the inside of us. We lift our hands, not out of religiosity, but we lift our hands in surrender right now. We say, God, we want your will to be done in our lives. Make me. Somebody say, make me. Make me into who you desire for me to be. And I say right now that I give up the throne of my life and I yield it to you. And my desire is to be a kingdom person. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe that, put your hands together right there. The second area that we need to have the kingdom established in prayer is that we need to pray that we walk in kingdom purpose, which means the kingdom for me, the kingdom for me. Let me say this. Every single person under the sound of my voice in this room and online, you were created for a purpose. I need to say that again because sometimes we say stuff like that. That's what you're supposed to say in church. No, every single person, you were created for a purpose. See, our heavenly father, if he really is your father and you look at him like that, I need you to know very clearly that there are no oops babies in his kingdom. That if he's your father, you need to understand that he was intentional about how he made you. That even if someone else wasn't expecting you to come on the scene at the time you did, he's saying, I got my eyes on you. 
He's saying that I created you for a purpose. He's saying that if you are here, you might as well live this life the way that I've created for you to live because I've given you everything that pertains to life and and my instruction that will give you prosperity. And if we believe that we are not oops babies, if we believe that we are those who are here for a purpose, that means that suicide is off the table. I'm saying that right now because as I was working on this message, the Lord just arrested me in this moment and said there are about two to three people in this service right now or watching online that have contemplated suicide because you believe that you are not born on purpose. You believe that people see you and they look down upon you because maybe you're not measuring up to what society looks like. You are judging yourself by somebody else, and God is saying, you don't even know what they have going on. But forget what they have going on. I need you to know what you got going on. I need you to know that I made a plan to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. I need you to know that I am shepherding you, and I am saving you from things that you don't even know I'm saving you from. I'm feeling this right now. I need you to know that because you are built in time right now, that you have been time released for a purpose, that nobody could do what you do. That nobody can walk the way you walk. That nobody can design the things you're supposed to design. That nobody can actually run the business the way you're supposed to run the business. That nobody could be the husband you're supposed to be, the wife that you're supposed to be, the uncle that you're supposed to be, the leader that you're supposed to do. Somebody say, I was made for a purpose on purpose. Come on, I need somebody to believe it in this place. I need some faith to rise up. Say, I was born for a purpose on purpose. If we know this, it allows us to know that our eyes will be set on him. Because the reality is that too many people allow their past sins to dictate their future focus. Too many people allow what they did in the past. There's people in this room right now that you might feel that you've passed that age of success because you made a wrong turn. But God has said, I'm the God of the detour. I'm the God that even when you think you made a wrong turn, I am the shepherd and you shall not want. I make you to lie down in green pastures. I restore your soul. And so as we look at this, many of us, as we are even navigating through things, we think that we have a sin issue. But for a lot of us, we don't have a sin issue. We have a boredom issue. What do I mean? You were made for something great. That's not just something we put on the wall. You were made to live actively and intentionally with some things that God has for you to do. But what happens is that when we don't engage in the big things of God and the things that he put us in the earth to do, the lesser things will now get our attention. Have you ever found yourself doing something, you missed the mark and you sinned, and you look back and you're like, what was I thinking? It probably because you were bored. It's probably because you weren't actively doing what you were supposed to be doing. And so I need y'all to lean in for me for a second. Come on, lean in for me. Lean in. Let me just let me try it again. I see some people on this side. <laughs> lean in. As we understand this, God wants you to know, I have my eye on you. And I have my eye on you so much that you need to understand that the reason why we miss the mark sometimes is because when I'm not busy with what I've been called, I'm more apt to succumb to a fall. He knows that if you can actually follow him forward and do the things he's called you to do, that you won't even have the time or the energy to deal with that little stuff over here. 
Here's a principle that I need you to put in your bag. Every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. And what this simply means is that if you're busy about the work of the kingdom, if he's told you and revealed to you what you're supposed to do, put your hands to that. By the end of the night, you don't have any energy to sin. You can lean back. <laughs> Ephesians 1.11 says it like this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living and part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and every one. So here's the thing. What are you gifted in? You might be an entrepreneur. You might be a fitness influencer. You might be a stay-at-home mom. You might be a CEO. You might be someone who runs a nonprofit. What we, what we need to do is whatever God has gifted us in, we're saying, God, I take my gifts and I point them at the glory of God. I not only point them at the glory of God, I take my life and I actually put it under the will of God. And so we all can interrogate ourselves and say, how much of my life am I controlling versus what God wants to control? Practically, it looks like this, answering these questions. And it's saying this to God. It's saying, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll work where you want me to work. And even as I'm saying that, I feel like there's somebody right here. I'm feeling, hearing a lot of stuff for you guys just spiritually. I believe there's somebody in this room or watching online that, that you're right in between negotiations with a job. That one of them right here is what you know to do and what you know you're called to and it's actually feeding your passions. But this one over here, it's going to pay you about three times more than what this one is offering. And what we have to do is we have to make a decision and say, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to work where you called me to work. Because watch this. Just because it's more money doesn't mean it's more God. Just because it's actually looking good does not mean it's God. And so we have to reconcile with that. Here it is. I'm not the type of person that likes to speak poverty mindset and stuff like that. I like nice things. I want you to prosper. I want you to be in good health but not at the expense of your soul. Because a few more dollars on this side is not worth the turmoil that's going to be on the inside of you if you're not following what he said to follow. That was a commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. <laughs> Here it is. When we're saying this and when we're agreeing with God, we are saying things like, God, I'll even break up with the person you told me to break up with. Now, if you're married, it's too late. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'll break up with the person you told me to break up with, and I will marry the person you told me to marry, even if they don't check all the little outward things that I actually wrote when I was 21, and I said five things that I wanted a man. Listen, I'm not saying lessen your standards. I'm saying make sure your standards line up with God's standards. Make sure you're not wishing upon a star, and God is saying, you have passed by your husband three times. You have passed by your wife three times thinking that something better is going to come on, but I'm saying I sent you what you need. And so we have to open ourselves up to saying, God, let your kingdom come in me. Show me what I'm supposed to do because your kingdom is better and I'm open. Here it is. I want to say this. I want to give you a little insight to pastors real quick because this is a practical thing. Most pastors that I know, we've experienced this. You see a story where you see someone comes into the church 
They come in hardly being able to pay their bills. Their life is a wreck. They're emotionally unhealthy. You know, they, they're trying to get themselves together. Then they get involved in the church. They start serving. They start getting in a small group. They start coming regularly to church and getting in this environment. Then they meet someone. They get together. They, they court for a while. Then they go ahead and get married. Then they have kids. Now their life is in abundance. And then all of a sudden, after that happens, they come to you at the door and say, Pastor, one of us just got a great opportunity for a promotion. It's going to move us to Texas. And every pastor, not that we don't want you to go and follow your dreams, not that we're trying to scare somebody into staying in victory, but what we see is that sometimes our priorities are on money that we're chasing instead of following God. Because what we'll see a lot of times is a few years later, we'll hear their divorce, their families are in shambles, and now they might not even be serving God. Here's what I want you to know. We have to be sure that we're actually following God when we get opportunities. Watch this. Because the devil has no problem promoting you out of purpose. The devil has no problem promoting you out of purpose. Let me say it like this. The devil will pay you not to make a difference. And that's why we have to be those who are open and saying, God, I yield myself to you. I want you to be the one that's on the throne of my heart because I will make the wrong decision every time. And what we have to be careful of is that sometimes it's not that what we choose to do is evil. It's just the lesser of the potential of what God really had in store for you. And so we have to ask ourselves, God, am I really following you or am I following myself? Is this ego or is this really a blessing? Watch this, because everything that's good is not God. One of the signs that we have to really look at is that when we make decisions, we have to ask ourselves, am I operating as a kingdom person? Is my life set on convenience or is it set on the kingdom? I need to pastor y'all just for a second. Is that all right? I got one person that said, yeah, the rest of y'all are like, I don't know what you're about to say. <laughs> I want to pastor you just for a second. Listen, listen. When I talk about the fact of being a kingdom person and letting that drive how you operate, a contributing factor to us operating as a kingdom person means that we live in a way that everything is not about us, that we live in a way that everything is not just based on convenience. Here's an example, a good church example that I want to give you. When you operate as if everything is not about you, you will be a person that does not say, oh, I'm just going to get to church when I get there. You know, church starts at 11. It starts at 11 every week. Every week. But what I want to know is that sometimes what we do is we kind of take the posture, sometimes not even knowing it. It's unintentional. But we're like, I'll get there when I get there because it's about me. You may not know this, but at every church, especially this one and people that I know, there are actually three different congregations sitting in here right now. There's the congregation that's here when Pastor Jamal gets up here and says, welcome, everybody. We're going to start the first song. There's the congregation that shows up after the second song. And there's the congregation that just walks in right before the message and says, all I need is the word. Just give it to me right now. Listen, some of y'all send us messages and say, hey, we never sing my song or this song that I like. We sung it a lot. We just sung it as the first song and you missed it. 
What am I saying? I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to just use that as an example of when we say we prioritize what God prioritizes, we will say, God, I am coming into your gates with thanksgiving. I'm entering your courts with praise. I have a dream. Somebody say, I have a dream. I have a dream like Martin Luther King that there will be a day, I have this for real, that we will come in here into this church and that before the worship pastor can even get up here and say something, that people will already be singing unto the Lord. I have a dream that before he can get up here and say, let's lift our hands, that there will be a melody from heaven that is already going on. And all he will do is get into the flow. I have a dream that people will be so hungry for the things of God that we're not walking into the presence of the Lord casually, but we're walking in expecting so that we can offer him up praise. Does anybody share that dream with me right now? Even if you haven't been here on time forever, share that dream with me. Here it is. The last thing that I want us to know is that we have to be a people that as we're making sure that we're not operating in just convenience, that we want to pray that we have fresh vision, that we're open to the things of God, that we're really following him in his kingdom standard. The last thing we have to do is we have to say we want to be kingdom power people, that we want to be people that operate in kingdom power. Say, I want to operate in kingdom power. What this means is that the kingdom is working through me. No longer am I just a bystander, but the kingdom is working through me. Because what we say is that God has a kingdom, and he wants us to pray that his kingdom will be established and expanded here on the earth. What we're saying and we're declaring based on the word, let the rule of God come to the earth. Let the reign of God come to the earth. And so as we do this, I I, I might have some people that are like me. I grew up in a church where we talked more about the rapture than what we were actually going to do to advance the kingdom. I grew up in the church hearing more about preparing to leave instead of actually being those who are equipped to operate in God's rule here on the earth. And if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll be like too many Christians that are praying from an escape from earth instead of praying that God's kingdom will infiltrate earth. And that's why I love even what we have been able to experience here at Victory Midtown, because I know you're not coming here to play games. I know you're coming because you see the greater. I know you're coming because you want to be stretched or you would not be coming on a beautiful day right here to church. But as we look at this, it is our part to pray pray that we lift our eyes up uh, above our things that we want only. It's where we're saying, that's why we have corporate prayers, where we're saying, God, I know that the harvest is ripe, that I'm going to be a part of actually answering the prayer that the kingdom comes in this earth as it is in heaven. One of the last things I want to say here is that when Jesus was walking the earth in Israel, he would pray, lay hands on the sick, And when he did that, and he was actually making a mark in history, he would say to them, after he healed someone, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he desires for that same thing to happen to us, that we walk around, that we believe that if we are to pray those things that are to be in the heavens, we can say, let this be, and that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so this is what we pray for, that God's rule and God's reign will come near to earth as it is in heaven. And this is how we pray for it. We say that if it is God's will, if it's in his kingdom, it should also be here. So I want to pray for that because what we're saying is that if something in heaven, it needs to be here. And so if you would, let's just follow me for a moment. 
When we pray to establish God's kingdom power, we do this. We pray for boldness in our faith. We say, there's no lost people in heaven, so there shouldn't be lost people here on earth. But I'm not just going to push that off to somebody else, a minister or a prayer leader. I'm saying, God, give me the boldness and teach me how to win people to Christ and lead them to you. Father, I want to be a people that operate in grace so that we can actually see people find you. Number two, we pray for power to come through our lives. In 1 Corinthians 14:1, Paul talks about the fact that we need to have the words of wisdom, the words of knowledge, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits. We need to be those who are able to go in different realms that we operate in and not be spooky, not be weird, but stand up internally and say, the kingdom is here. And because the kingdom is here, I'm able to make a mark according to what God says about this place. We need to be people who pray for revival in the church. Kendra and I pray for you often. And even right here at Victory Midtown, that we know that we are not here to play games, that a revival is happening in your life, that you are becoming an evangelistic people, that God's will will be done in your life, that you are a generous people, you're a serving people, that you are bold in your operation and what God has placed you to walk in. And we need to be people that pray for an awakening in our nation. Gone are the days of complaining about what they did if you're not praying about what he said. As we pray, we need to be able to pray for our president, pray for our government leaders, pray for our community, pray according to God's word. Watch this. If there's no racism in heaven, if there's no separatism in heaven, if there's no classism in heaven, we need to pray, God, let your kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. And so here's what we want to say. We want to be one nation under God. Not just something we recite, but something that we live. Because we want to show up in kingdom power. That the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. We say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in this earth as it is in heaven. Can you stand on your feet for me? In this moment, I want to just make an appeal and take a second very intentionally. Because you can't operate as a kingdom person if you have not first been entered into the kingdom. And so if you're in here today and you say, all of these sound good, they sound like great benefits to how I would like to live my life, but I have never given my life to Jesus. I've never submitted my heart. I can say a lot of vain words, but they won't have power because I don't have relationship. If you want to give your life to Christ and secure your eternal salvation, but also the abundant life that God wants you to tap into, just throw your hand up very boldly real quick. I see you. I see you. I see you. Come on, Victory Midtown. Pray this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. You came that I could have life and life more abundantly. Yes, you came to give me eternal life, but you also came to give me a great life here on earth. Today I repent, which means I turn from my way of doing things, and I turn towards your way of doing things. I say, let your kingdom come. Come on, let your kingdom come in me as it is in heaven. Change me for your purpose. Use me for your purpose. From this day on, I will live for you 
and establish your kingdom right here on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, all over the room. Can we lift our hands right now together? Lift our hands. Come on, lift our hands. Lift our hands. I want to pray just even prophetically that we get this, that we take this, that we allow heaven to come in our lives like never before. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, we didn't just hear a message today, but we're encountering your spirit. We've received instructions today that you don't want us to just operate in passivity as we live in this world, but you have made each and every one of us for something great. And part of that great thing is to establish your kingdom here in the earth as it is in heaven. So I speak a boldness over each and every one of us that everywhere that the sole of our feet tread this week, we declare that the kingdom is coming. Father, we thank you that we will not fear when we go into certain situations, but the boldness of the Lord will be in our mouths. The boldness of your presence will be with us. You will keep us in perfect peace as our minds are stayed on you. Father, we declare that things that are out of order have to become in order when we show up. That when we show up, we're not operating in our own strength, but we operate with the strength of heaven's armies with us. Boldness, courageous people for your glory. We say, let heaven come. 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 Just say that out of your own mouth. Say, let heaven come. You might not even fully know what it looks like, but I declare that as you continue to submit to the things of the Lord, heaven will start to show up in your life. You will have wild moments in your life, day by day, moment by moment. Come on, lift it up. Let heaven come. Let heaven come. sexual appetite. Let heaven come in my discipline. Let heaven come with how I deal with my spouse. Let heaven come with how I show up on the job. Let heaven come with my decision making. Let heaven come with my physical body. Let heaven come with how I treat my children. Let heaven come to reconcile me with cultures. Let heaven come with how I move and I show up in the world today. Let heaven come in this earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> 